This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Regan. Welcome, Regan. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing really good. So why don't you sort of take me back to the beginning, sort of where it all started for you? Okay. Yeah, well, you know, I, um, just like I wrote for the blog entry that, you know, you posted on This Naked Mind, I did not grow up in a family where addiction was a problem. Um, I didn't ever see it. I, you know, was not around it. And I never thought anything of it. And when I was 13, some school friends came over and gave me my first taste of beer. And I didn't like it. I almost spit it out. It was so horrible. And it stuck with me that I never drank again. Um, Like throughout high school, I never drank. And I was never like really pressured by my friends or anyone to drink. So it was just never an issue. And when I went off to college, I think that entire four-year period, I drank maybe 10 times, if that. Again, it was never a problem. When I now, after reading your book, look back on it, I see that in grad school, I went straight into grad school right after college, I see that that's kind of when it started to creep up on me a little bit, in the sense that Friday and Saturday nights, I was always going to a friend's house party. and you know, having drinks and so forth. And it became more of a routine, like every Friday and Saturday, but it never interfered with my school or anything like that. I received a scholarship to study abroad at Oxford University in England and did well. So, you know, since I didn't really have a background in alcohol um, or addiction, I didn't know at the time that it was starting to grow. And then after grad school, I went to work into politics, and it was just normal, and I can really relate to you, um, saying that's kind of how it all really started for you in the sense that you just drank with your coworkers. It was just what you did. And when, you know, it's the strike of five, it was totally normal to go down to these, you know, nice fancy bars by the Capitol and have drinks and mingle with lobbyists and mingle with even senators and congressmen and you know at that time I was 28 years old I mean this is 10 years ago so I kind of had stars in my eyes like right in the blog um that you hosted it was the equivalent of a young person like going to Hollywood and getting their big break who want to you know act that's how I felt and um from there it just it kind of started where my roommates in DC every Sunday night we would take turns buying a bottle of wine and watching Desperate Housewives. And I never really saw it as a thing because it never interfered with my life. And then um, fast forward several years, I was attempting to get my PhD um, in nonprofit management out in the University of San Diego. Didn't end up getting it, but I loved living out there. (laughs) But um, my roommate suggested before a date, she said, well, you know, take a few shots, um, get there first, take a few shots, and we'll relax you. And I was like, okay. And so it started to grow 
from there, I started to not realizing it. Um, in my subconscious, I was starting to think that's what you, you just, alcohol takes care of things. And so I just started to do that. And then fast forward another three years, I moved back east and I was going to go back and work in DC again. And what ended up happening was, I, I mean, it's a little difficult to talk about, but I ended up being uh, attacked by somebody mm. I was supposed to trust. And after that, my drinking went from, oh, you know, a nightly thing where I would thought it was helping me fall asleep, which I now know it wasn't, <laughs> but it went from being something I just did at night to go to sleep to being something I did. It didn't matter at the time of day because I was thinking that it was helping me. <laughs> I don't know why I was thinking that other than in the sense that my goal was to pass out and not think, not feel, and that's what it was doing. So I just started to rely on it for, I guess, just getting through the day. And it was so out of control that I ended up going to a treatment center. And it didn't really do anything to help me because um, I didn't feel like it was addressing kind of the reason why I started and all that. It was just basically they, you know, do the 12 steps and all that. And I want to come across as like, you know, I'm not bashing treatment centers, I'm not bashing AA. I think it's great. It's helped a lot of people, but it, it just didn't help me. It, not at all. I ended up blowing a 0. 0.370. Yeah. Um, on two occasions, on two occasions, and I'm five foot four and 110 pounds. You know, that's enough to so kill that's a horse. Like six times the legal <laughs> limit, I think, or something crazy. It's like. crazy, yeah, insane. And still, nothing was registering with me. It just it just wasn't working. And about a year ago, um, you know, one treatment center didn't help. The second one helped a bit more because I was dealing with um, EMDR, which is special kind of treat, like trauma. And, and so I, I went ahead and back in my mind, I'd go back to, you know, regular drinking. And then by coincidence, I read your book and it kind of talked about, you know, how, I mean, I saw an ad for it and I was thinking, okay, if the traditional route hasn't helped me, maybe this more scientific approach will. And when I started reading your book, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm going to just cut back. I'm still going to drink. And then when I finished it, my whole mindset changed completely. And I don't even miss it. Oh, that's so amazing. That's, yeah. that's just awesome. Um, so what has life been like sort of since that? It's been amazing. I can't believe, I, I'm very thankful that the real out of control drinking was less than a year of my life. Um, so I'm grateful that, you know, I didn't lose decades and I could have, but mm -hmm. it's just simple things. Like I was talking to my mother the other day and she was stunned when I told her, you know, two years ago at six o'clock in the morning, my first thought was, Oh, the gas station's open now. I can run and get a six, six pack. And, you know, that was my first thought. And then last year, um, my dog woke me up like right before you know, dawn, and I had to go out. And my first thought was, oh, you know, we'll make it in time to see the sunset, the sunrise. And I was like, wow, no. that's how much my mind has changed. Like, it's so cool. crazy. Yeah. 
And what was it in the book? Like, what was it that really, um, do you think clicked for you? I think what clicked, well, the whole book clicked, but what mostly um, got me was the whole willpower and the whole, honestly, the subconscious and the conscience part where you, you know, talked about that over and over again, because that's really what made me think, oh, you know, I was relying on this for everything. I mean, even little things like as it started to grow, when I was out in California, out west, the water is much colder than it is, you know, on the Atlantic. And my friends and I would always be like, let's go take shots and jump in the water. And that will, you know, get us ready. So I was subconsciously starting to think I needed it for everything. And, you know, now I live in Florida and, you know, even in the winter, it's still a little cold, but I can easily, you know, run and jump in with sheltering. <laughs> so that was the biggest thing for me. That's huge. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Like just this idea, you know, there's so many things like that, that we think we need alcohol to do the certain thing. And then when we prove ourselves wrong, it's like, holy cow, that was in me all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. And then your book, um, inspired my own. And it's funny because I've been talking about, I'm, I'm a writer. i this is my third book. The first two I published were on Russian history. So, um, I just sat down one day and just wrote and wrote and wrote. And it, we're hoping it will be July that it comes out, but mine's more kind of like historical and base. Whereas I, your, your scientific approach is what helped me for sure. But mine's more historical in the sense, like I look back throughout history and kind of how people became addicted and so forth. Um, so yeah. <laughs> and I thank you. So, exciting. so <laughs> we're, um, what, it, what is it called? First of all, uh, death in the afternoon, how to control drinking in the 21st century. Oh, that's so exciting. And where can people, um, will just, I assume be on Amazon or is there anywhere specifically for people to go? It will be on Amazon. Yeah. And we're, um, looking for a July launch date. That's so. awesome. Oh, yeah, th- yeah. This podcast probably will come out after launch anyway, so people can probably go find it right now. So that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. Well, the pre-order actually isn't up yet. Um, but you know, I'll keep you posted on that. Cause I would love for you to like, when you um, do this, you know, maybe to have it on launch day or so forth. Um, yeah, if we can work that out. I'm really looking forward to that. That's so cool. And it's so fascinating too, because it's like, where did this all come from? What's the historical <laughs> thing? So what a good approach and what a good topic. That's, that's just great. How fascinating. Mm-hmm. So how, how kind of your social life and your friends and stuff, how's that changed? It hasn't really changed for the worse. Um, I even write about that in the book, how I'm one of the lucky ones, I think, because my drinking was so out of control that my friends and family have all been extremely supportive, but I've noticed through other friends that who I've, you know, referenced your book too, and they read it and it changed them too. Like their friends were being like still pressuring them and so forth. So I haven't had to deal with that. Um, thank God. But I know that that has to do a lot of people, but yeah. So. That's great. Um, so what else, like, you know, if you were going to give just kind of top tips to somebody, especially, you know, knowing the journey of how many different roads you, you went down, uh, mm-hmm. do you have any top tips, I guess? 
Any, I'm sorry, we were breaking up a little. Any what? Sort, sort of top tips or, or like? Um, you know, top tips definitely. What also helped me about the book is realizing what it does to your health because I'm um, a health nut. And I think a top tip is definitely letting people know that, you know, it, and this is another thing that really stood out to me in your book was, you know, this is ethanol. This is literally a poison. And I think if people remember that when they go out and so forth, they might be less inclined to drink, mm. um, you know, cause it's so crazy how it's just such a natural thing. Like the other day I went to a Mexican restaurant to pick up, you know, some food, bring back home. And as I'm sitting there, I, you know, had a virgin margarita, which was great. I could actually taste the strawberry and it wasn't, you know, um, clouded by alcohol. And I looked around and I noticed, and this was like noon, I noticed that in this past restaurant, every table, there was somebody drinking, if not the whole table. And mm. I was like, and I wouldn't have noticed that before. And I was just thinking to myself, these people have no idea what they're doing to their bodies. No clue. Cause I didn't know. And in a way I almost feel sorry for them. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. I know. I remember that um, feeling too so well. And I think, I mean, still sometimes we have, a, we have actually a really random Mexican restaurant near us where it has great food, but it's in a gas station because we live in the mountains. So like <laughs> there's not a lot of buildings. <laughs> so like people have to go to restaurants and like gas stations and it's just hilarious that way. But anyway, it's kind of in this gas station um, on the highway so it's, and it's a good six or seven minute drive from anything else. So like, no matter what you're driving, even if you live in the closest house, you're driving, you're getting in your car and getting on a highway. And mm-hmm. um, there's a huge seven foot poster outside of it with a big Corona. And it says, we have breakfast burritos, pick one up with a Corona today. And there's a special on your breakfast burrito and your Corona. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Your your breakfast burrito and your Corona, that's a thing? Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, I think, honestly, the toughest thing that has been for me, you know, sobriety is not tough. It's amazingly easy. And like I said, this is coming from someone who, you know, blew a deadly amount twice. Um, so, you know, that's been fine. What's been hard has been kind of the backlash I've gotten from people who did, uh, you know, become sober the traditional way by doing AA and the 12 steps. It's like they don't believe me when I say I, I didn't. And I always say, you know, I think it's a great program. I think these treatment centers are awesome. Um, I'm always, you know, saying, hey, if that works for people, that's great. I'm not discouraging it. But, you know, it doesn't work for other people. It doesn't work for everyone. And, um, yeah, just kind of getting backlash about that. It's been kind of surprising because in my opinion, it doesn't matter how you come sober as long as you are. Yeah. I, um, that was the most surprising thing for me when I first published the snake in mind, because I came at this whole thing, not even knowing the vernacular, you know, it was very much my own journey. It was very internal. Everything I knew about AA I'd learned from my brother who had spent some time in prison. So it was, um, completely like, I, I just did not know what I didn't know. And so when I actually got pushback from people really saying that, hey, it's dangerous to suggest that there's another way, uh, yeah. 
somebody tell me that you're going to be killing people if you tell them they don't need meetings. Um, and I had more than one person tell me similar things to that. I was really surprised. I was like, oh my gosh, like, wait, I thought we we're on the same team. I thought these were going to be my people. And it was mm-hmm. kind of this moment of like, wow, I stopped drinking and I thought I'd be really kindred with people who are sober and recovery. And I, I wasn't kindred. And I was like, okay, so I'm not on that island and I'm not on the drinking island. So, okay, whoa, where am I? I guess I'm on my own island. It was just this very yeah. surreal experience. And I think I've had to do a lot of work on my own thinking about it and moving through and really trying to understand you know, why that is. And I had this beautiful, beautiful conversation with Laura McCowan. She's a um, blogger and stuff. And, and she said, Annie, the thing about it, because I've never, ever said that one way is better or worse or anything. It's just like, here's what worked for me. You know, that's, that's really mm-hmm. the drum I'm beating. And it's, and lots of people actually do go to AA meetings and read this naked mind and find the combination really powerful. And so it's, mm-hmm. I think it's all great and it's all beautiful and it totally everybody's journey is everybody's journey. We're so many different shades of people. We need so many different shades of, you know, who's going to connect with me might not connect with somebody else and who's going to connect with somebody else might never connect with me. It's just, it is what it is. But um, mm-hmm. she said, the thing that happens is um, when, when somebody's really built their whole construct of sobriety on this way being the way and then mm-hmm. just that it might not be and their sobriety for them is like like their survival which totally makes sense because when you're in a situation where literally you cannot stop drinking and then finally you string a few days together and it's such a relief but it's so hard and it's so intense and then you string time together and if anything comes in to suggest that you know what that foundation might not be the only thing it it almost mm-hmm. takes away from it and it can become really scary. And she's so, she says that all that is just very fear-based. Um, yeah. so it's, it's really about them, not about you. And that really helps me a lot because I was like, okay, it's not that I'm necessarily being attacked. It's that there's a really deep fear that, okay, if there is something else that works, then maybe I got it wrong. And what does that mean? And maybe I'm not going to, you know, maintain my, like, it, there's just all this, you know, fear. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really interesting. Um, but I totally agree with you that, you know, it does not, like, we're all in this together, really. And I think more and more people are just finding their own paths and, and their own ways. But it was very surprising. And I think it is really interesting for that you had that experience as well, of, you know, just, not not feeling like oh we're on the same team here feeling like wait a second you're actually upset with how i did this and i did have people say things like okay well when you need us we'll be here you know when when that doesn't work for you we're we've always we've always got a space for you here and i'm like okay well thank you that's very nice and i appreciate Mm -hmm. it yeah yeah that's and you saying that you know it's not you it's you know their fear that really helps me um understand it a bit more because I really didn't understand uh, I didn't understand and um you know I've said the therapists I saw before everything all the treatments I'm not bashing them I think they're great they all you know did their best for me and it just didn't work for me and if it works for the next person that's great but you know I went down um and I'm very thankful that one therapist I had a year ago right before I read your book uh started seeing her and I saw her throughout 2018 Right when I first started seeing her, I was like, you know, twice I've blown a 0.370 or higher. Clearly, this, you know, this program is not working for me. I need to find another way. 
And she was the first person who ever told me. She goes, yeah, well, I'm a huge advocate of people finding their own way. And I was stunned. I was like, really? I mean, you're an addiction therapist. You're saying it's okay if the 12 steps don't work for me? She's like, yeah, that's fine. I was just amazed. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and uh, when I went back down to Florida, and I decided, you know, why don't I go into a sober living just because I'm new to this area? I don't want to sign a lease. I know I'm not going to drink. So I kind of looked at it from the point of view where I didn't want to sign a lease of an apartment um, until I got to know where I wanted to live. So I was like, I'll just go into sober living and, you know, do that because you can leave any time. And when I went down there, they, you know, were saying that you have to do meetings every day. You have to do this. And I, when I was down there and signing, you know, not the lease, but, you know, just a contract and so forth, I said, well, I didn't get sober that way. And I don't really, meetings don't do anything for me. And they said, well, if you want to stay here, you have to go. So I didn't think too much of it. I was like, all right, whatever. I'll just, I'll go. Um, and I was sitting through these meetings and I'm like, and like to me the whole shame approach just doesn't work and um I mean it, not for me at least and so when I was it, to me it was almost like they were taking me 10 steps back so after four months I was like look I just I'm gonna leave because I don't you know it doesn't work for me and I don't see what the problem is as long as I'm sober I'm passing all my tests, I'm doing well, I've written a book, I don't see what the problem is, like why I have to do something I said doesn't work for me. And it was just, you know, just like I was this black sheep or something. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that was really the only difficult part. And even now, like the first treatment center I went to, like on Facebook, when I, you know, post stuff about like how your book worked and how the scientific background worked for me, and, um, like, only a couple people from my times in these treatment centers have been happy for me. All the others are, like, thinking I'm out of my mind and so forth. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's really hard for people to um, – I mean, it's hard for me to have a, an idea about something and then have somebody not be in the, quote, norm, right, and then be like, okay, how does that fit? Um, and I think that we have this very deep, deep desire. I think it's one of the things that our brains do to almost protect ourselves is we try mm -hmm. to prove whatever we know from our past correct. And we try to disallow new information because it, it feels scary and contrary and different. And so it's really hard to do that. And so when we're trying to prove whatever we've seen from our past correct and something comes in that is like new and it's like, okay, mm -hmm here's Reagan. Reagan actually is doing great, but Reagan didn't do all the steps that we thought she should do. And she hasn't done, you know, the specific formula that we've put forward. Um, Reagan must be wrong because otherwise, how can we take that in? It's, it's just too much. So it's really interesting. Like just the brain works like that in so many areas, but mm -hmm. I, completely, I completely understand. And I'm so glad that you did find something that works for you because I think that we are all so different and differently wired. And um, yeah, we all really do deserve to be able to live in complete freedom from this. Yeah. And like, I tell people all the time that this is like, and I, you know, I'm keeping my emotions in check <laughs> because, you know, there are times when I just burst out into tears when I think, you know, if I hadn't read The Naked, the naked Mind, 
I am 1000% convinced that I probably wouldn't be here right now. If I was able to blow numbers like that before, I think it would have been at one point when it got to be too much. Um, and like, I honest, I give you 1000% credit for my opinion, saving my life. Oh. So, well, you definitely, I mean, you definitely are the one I know that the information helped, but you're, it's, it's inside you, you know, that desire to live, that will to live, that, that need to keep looking for the next thing and the right thing that did finally click and not giving up when mm -hmm. things didn't click. And I mean, that's, that's just really um, amazing. Like that, that thing that's in all of us that just wants what's better. And I, I do have a belief and who knows if this is true, who knows if this is woo-woo, but it's what I choose to to believe because I think that I've seen it to be very true that when we do make even the smallest sort of internal decision and commitment that we're like, okay, somehow when we start on the journey, often just starting on the journey almost ensures that we will get where we want to go, you know, and it's not always true for every person, but a lot of times when you just start on it, it's like everything conspires to make it happen for us, you know, and then even if we have to go down this road and this road and this road, we're learning something in each of those detours and each of those turns that ultimately like, <laughs> it's like, it's like giving my husband a jar of pickles and being like, I can't open this. This is impossible. And then he tries it for a while and he's like, Oh, I don't know. It's really hard. And then I pick it up and I open it because he's loosened it for me. You know, it's like almost everything in, in your path probably had some sort of place and, and some sort of thing to where, oh, all of a sudden, this is the thing that really put everything over the edge. But I think that all goes back down to some very deep internal desire that, okay, I want something different for myself, even if that's unspoken and subconscious, like you making that choice, you putting that real intention into the world, I think is what ultimately results in all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point of view, you know, that's um, definitely something and I can see that yeah, the desire to live, the desire to, um, you know, be able to continue with my life because I've led a very good life and, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty intelligent person. <laughs> I've, you know, done all this good and I want to keep, keep going. And um, so, yeah, it's a, uh, Definitely, definitely uh, nice to hear that saying that maybe the strength was always in me because I really didn't look at it from that point of view. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think it's very true. It doesn't always feel that way. It certainly doesn't in the journey. I can tell you that even in my journey. And you can look back and be like, oh, it all happened for a reason, but it never, it never feels that way at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so right. I'll ask you sort of what I always ask in that, you know, if you could go back to Reagan, who was really struggling and blowing those crazy numbers and at a point where it was scary, where it was life or death and just tell her about, um, and I'm sure she was so fearful, tell her about what, what life is like now, what would you tell her? I would tell her that you'll be amazed at how much you can go back to the person you were before times 100. Mm. And that, you know, you can enjoy simple pleasures again and you know I live near these botanical gardens and these little events they have I get so excited about that you know I don't need alcohol and it's just amazing it's amazing to like walk at night or jog which you know I'm a huge 
jogger and listening to the crickets and realizing I lost a year. I don't remember a year in my life. That could have been forever. And I'm just so grateful it wasn't. Mm, That's so beautiful. That's so cool. That's great. Well, wow. What a powerful story. I am um, working on a, I don't know if I've, if anybody told you this over email when you submitted your blog post, but I'm working on an actual putting all these stories or a lot of the best stories, the one that are, I think some of the most compelling together into a book um, Mm -hmm. that I'm going to give away for free on my website, but then also put on Amazon. And I'd love to share your story in that. So you can think about it and let me know or whatever. But um, I think your story is, is really powerful, especially as you did try so many traditional methods first and you have gotten the pushback and stuff. And I think that that's got to resonate with a lot of people. I think there's a lot of people in, in a similar situation and maybe who are still in some methods that aren't working for them and feeling very hopeless. Yes. Well, I actually did get that email and I confirmed on the spot. Yay. I was like, absolutely. <laughs> you can share this. And I said, I'm honored and humbled that she would even consider me. Oh, that's so great. So, yeah. That's such a good yeah. story. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Was well, there anything else that's on your mind? I guess um, just that I, you know, I'm every time I go around and I'm, you know, promoting my book on podcasts and radio, I'm really also promoting this naked mind because when people ask me, you know, how you got sober, because I, you know, I go on radio stations and so forth that. They do believe in different routes. And so when I tell them, I'm like, hey, it was this book. It was 1,000% this book. And it's uh, definitely um, changed my life or not changed my life, brought me back to who I was and made me a better person. I love that so much. And I honestly cannot wait to read your book. (laughs) Um, Will you tell us the title one more time just in case anybody missed it? Sure. It's called Death in the Afternoon, How to Control Drinking in the 21st Century. That's so cool. So Death in the Afternoon, How to Control Drinking mm-hmm. in the 21st Century. It's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- not to be confused with Ernest Hemingway's book called Death in the Afternoon. Um, I actually named the book after a drink he invented called Death in the Afternoon. And um, he, as a writer, I look up to writers and i kind of wanted it as a tribute to him because as a lot of people know he suffered from mm-hmm. all this and so forth and never got better and it's sad so. yeah. <laughs> well that's so cool that's just so cool that's awesome. yeah well thank you so much Reagan it's really been a pleasure oh uh, yeah I mean I appreciate it so it was an honor to talk to you yeah you too have a great afternoon You too. Thank you. Bye. Hi, are you looking to connect with like-minded people? Sometimes maybe you feel like as someone who knows all this information from the snake in mind or the alcohol experiment that you're living in a world of muggles and people just don't speak your language. That is why I created The Exchange. The Exchange is an online community where we meet face-to-face live video calls multiple times a week with people from all over the globe just to connect, to have somewhere you're seen and you're heard and you feel less alone and really that you can give back and get the support you need. So if this sounds great to you, check it out at thisnakedmind.com backslash exchange. 
And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.